Now, over the last six months, with a few breaks for other things, we've been working as a church through the letter 1 Corinthians. Today, we come to the end of that letter, chapter 16. And that affords us the opportunity to summarize the message of the letter as a whole, which is exactly what Paul, the writer, does in this concluding chapter. Now, at first reading, you might think that the end of the letter is just a random collection of things Paul wants to say before he signs off. And the editorial headings in our Bible translations, not part of the original text, certainly give that impression. The collection for the saints, plans for travel, and then the vaguest heading of all, final instructions and greetings. Now, for sure, this is a real letter, and Paul concludes in a way that observes the customary conventions of how you end a letter. But there is nothing random in what he says. Every word, every phrase is chosen thoughtfully to round off the letter. Now, if you have a sight of the service sheet, there's an outline. We'll look at the chapter under three headings. Look at yourselves as a church. Then look out and engage in gospel partnership with others. And finally, love gets the last word. So, firstly, then, look at yourselves as a church. Now, verses 13 and 14 in the chapter are the heart of it, and I want us to take them as our first and our main point. Look at yourselves as a church. Let's read verses 13 and 14 again. Paul writes, "'Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, let all that you do be done in love. Now, personally, I think the NIV is better, which translates act like men as be courageous. So, let me repeat the two verses with that change. Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, be courageous, be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. Now, these two verses are a brilliant application of the letter. In light of all that Paul has said to the church in Corinth, and Paul has said many direct and corrective things to them, here is how they are to be, to live as a church, to be watchful, to stand firm in the faith, to be courageous and strong, and to let all that they do be done in love. And the question is, have they looked honestly at themselves as a church? Have they listened to what Paul has said? Are they ready and willing to put into practice these summarizing comments? Will this be a description of the church in Corinth? Are they ready to change? And the question of application to us, is it a description of us as a church? 
For what Paul writes in these summarizing verses is what real church is, what a church doing Jesus' work in Jesus' way is like. Watchful, standing fast, courageous, strong, loving. Now let's take verse 13 first. Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, be courageous, and be strong. The phrase be watchful is used most often in the New Testament to encourage God's people to be ready, to be vigilant, and to live actively now in the service of Jesus in light of the certainty of his return. We've just finished looking at chapter 15, which is about resurrection. Paul has been correcting some wrong teaching in Corinth about the physical resurrection of the body. They believed in the resurrection, but not the physical resurrection of the body. What lay behind this wrong teaching was the mistaken view of living for glory now on earth. They were living for an illusory and earth-bound glory rather than seeking glory in the life to come. To live for now meant for them to live for self, for pleasure, to live believing this world and this life is more than it is. And how powerfully these present days of global crisis remind us of the vain pursuit of earthbound glory. Glory is in the life to come, in the world to come. And the Christian church, the Christian is to live out their days on this earth in the light of Jesus' return, giving themselves in the here and now to the work of the gospel, to see people saved for eternal glory, ready, watchful, vigilant, as if Jesus were about to return. Paul is saying to them and to us, the time is short. There is gospel work to be done. Just uh, flick back in your Bibles to the very end of chapter 15. Paul concludes his chapter on the resurrection of the body with some wonderful words about how Jesus has taken the sting out of death, words that we read at Ian's Thanksgiving service yesterday. Let me read from the middle of verse 54. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of the sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. What wonderful words. What true and powerful words for the days in which we are living. Words that face us up to the reality of this world death and the glorious victory of Jesus over it. And as we are comforted in that truth as Christians and as a church, look what follows in verse 58. Therefore, my beloved, therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters, therefore, this church family, our church family, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, 
knowing that in the Lord your labor is never in vain. Giving yourself to the work of the Lord in this life is not only the right thing to do, it is worthwhile and never in vain. Sitting at my desk on Friday, the words of this hymn came to my mind, Go labor on, spend and be spent the joy to do the Father's will. It is the way the Master went, should not the servant tread it still. Go labor on while it is day. The world's dark night is hastening on. Speed thy work, cast sloth away. Is it not thus that souls are one? All the way through the letter, Paul has been pressing on them repeatedly that Jesus will return, that the time is short, that they are not free to do what they want with their lives. They have forgotten there is meaningful, sacrificial service to engage in. They have become mesmerized by flashy gifts rather than getting on with plain, simple loving each other. They are living for an illusory and earthbound glory. The return of Jesus is never, ever far from the Apostle Paul's mind. And so he, and he exhorts us to be, watchful. Be watchful, stand firm in the faith. Stand firm in the faith. Notice precisely what Paul says, stand firm in the faith. What is the faith that they are to stand firm in? Well, glance back to the beginning of chapter 15. And notice how similar the language is to these key verses in chapter 16. Let me read chapter 15, verses 1 and 2. I would remind you, brothers and sisters, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believe in vain. They are to stand firm in the gospel that Paul preached to them. And remember who Paul is. He is an apostle of Jesus. As such, he speaks Jesus' words. The gospel Paul preached is the gospel of Jesus. The apostles' gospel is Jesus' gospel. Listen to Paul from earlier in the letter, back in chapter 2. And when I came to you, brothers and sisters, I did not come to you proclaiming the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and with much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So this is the gospel, Christ and him crucified, that Paul exhorts them to stand firm in proclaiming. It will not sound impressive. 
it will not be regarded by many as sophisticated or wise or plausible. It will lead to hostility and rejection. But it remains and will always remain until Jesus comes again, the power of God for salvation. So stand firm, hold fast to this gospel, for there is no other gospel that saves people from their sins. And that takes courage and strength. Be courageous. Be strong is the translation in the NIV. Paul is exhorting them to a courageous stand for the gospel, recognizing that it's costly. That's clear enough from Paul's own ministry. Chapter 16, verse 9, a wide door for effective work has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. The true gospel and those who speak it will always be opposed, but it saves people from their sins and for everlasting life. Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Be courageous. Be strong. Now, the word strong has figured before in this letter. The Corinthian church thought they were strong, but their understanding of what it meant to be strong was worldly, not spiritual. And Paul's point is that true spiritual strength is in the proclamation of what sounds weak and implausible to people who feel weak, who serve, who are selfless, who are sacrificial in their love. True strength is found in weakness and sometimes in shame, standing with Jesus. And that leads us into verse 14. Let all that you do be done in love. What does it look like to be strong? To love. Love is a key theme in the letter. Love is what the Corinthians lacked. Love is what Paul commends. It is striking how many chapters in the book or sections in Paul's letter begin with the encouragement to love. For example, chapter 8, verse 1, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Chapter 13, verse 1, if I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Chapter 14, verse 1, pursue love. Just glance ahead to the end of chapter 16, verse 22. If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. Verse 24, my love be with you all. And in these closing verses, Paul describes the two dimensions of love, love for the Lord and love for one another. Love for the Lord is our first priority, and that issues in love for one another. 
What is love? It is devotion to Jesus that expresses itself in a selfless, sacrificial attitude for the sake of others. And we saw that very powerfully in chapters 8 to 10, giving up our rights and our freedoms for the sake of others, other believers and unbelievers, so they might hear the gospel. And notice that Paul says, let all that you do be done in love. Literally, do all things in love. That phrase, all things, has come up again and again in the letter. Love is to characterize everything we do as a church. Do we love the Lord? Are we speaking the truth in love to one another? Are we setting aside our rights and privileges for the sake of others, both believers and unbelievers? Are we loving one another with a selfless, sacrificial, servant-hearted love? What Paul writes in these summarizing verses is what real church is, what a church doing Jesus' work in Jesus' way is like, watchful, standing firm, courageous, strong, and loving. Is that a description of us? Can I encourage you in that in many ways it is. You love the Lord. You are speaking the truth in love to one another. You are setting aside your rights and your privileges for the sake of the gospel. You are loving one another with a selfless, sacrificial, servant-hearted love. Now, for sure, in these difficult days, these things are tested, not least in our homes. But remember Paul's logic. Love for the Lord precedes love for one another. We love one another because Jesus Christ lives in us the man of love. Loving the Lord, speaking the truth in love to one another, setting aside our rights and privileges for the sake of others, selfless, sacrificial, servant-hearted love, flowing through the veins of our church family, more important than it has ever been. Let me encourage you that that is what you are doing. Now, that's the first point I want us to take from this closing chapter. Look at yourselves as a church. The second point, look out and engage in gospel partnership with others. Now, the central verses 13 and 14, which give us the summary application 
of the letter are bracketed on either side by what might first appear to be a random list of names of individuals and churches and the gospel work they are doing. Paul has written this letter to the church in Corinth, but in this final chapter, he begins to speak to them, the church in Corinth, about people and churches engaged in gospel work in lots of different places. Let me just lead you through the chapter and show you that. Verse 1, now concerning the collection for the saints, Paul's reference to the saints is to the church in Jerusalem, where extreme persecution had given rise to financial need. We know it's the church in Jerusalem from verse 3 and other New Testament references. They face an urgent need for money. The second half of verse 1, Paul refers to the churches of Galatia. That's churches in Pisidia and Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, and Derbe, who he had also asked to participate in this collection. Then Paul speaks about himself and his own plans as verses 3 to 9. Note the reason he gives for why he can't come to see them in person. Immediately, verse 8, but I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a wide door for effective work has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. Paul is with the church in Ephesus. Why is he there? Because a wide door for effective gospel work has opened. Paul is facing lots of difficulties in Ephesus, and he says, verse 9, there are many adversaries. Difficult, Opposition comes with authentic, cross-shaped gospel ministry, but that will not deflect Paul as he does Jesus' work in Jesus' way. Then verse 10, Paul commends Timothy. Why does he commend Timothy? Because, verse 10, he is doing the work of the Lord as I am. Verse 12, Apollos. Verses 11 and 12, the other brothers or brothers and sisters. Verse 15, the household of Stephanus, who were the first converts in Achaia, Macedonia and Achaia, another region that Paul has planted churches. And what have these first converts done? They have devoted themselves to the service of the saints. Sacrificial love for other believers. Verse 17, Stephanus, Fortunatus, Achaicus, because they have made up for your absence, for they refresh my spirit as well as yours. Again, Paul commends selfless, sacrificial love for other believers. And then finally, verse 19, the churches of Asia. We've had reference in this final chapter to the churches in Galatia, Achaia, Macedonia, and now Asia. Verse 19 continues, Aquila and Prisca, together with the church in their house, send you hearty greetings in the Lord. All the brothers and sisters send you greetings. Now, isn't it striking? All these references to people and churches engaged in gospel ministry. And what point is Paul making that the church in Corinth had become so caught up in its own importance that they had lost sight of what was going on elsewhere. 
and more importantly, that they should be engaged in partnership with other churches of ministry. Selfless, sacrificial, gospel partnership with others was not their concern. Their concern was themselves. They were self-centered, caught up in their own importance. And along with that, not wanting to be associated with the likes of Paul and Timothy and the cross-focused, weak ministry they were engaged in. Now, Paul has needed to be direct and corrective through the letter. Have they listened? Are they now willing to look out and engage in gospel partnership with others? And that question is as relevant for us. Are we looking out and engaging in gospel partnership with others? Now, just a brief comment and application with respect to the different areas of gospel partnership Paul identifies. First, partnership in giving, verses 1 to 4. Giving financially to support the work of the gospel beyond the local church. And I guess that means gospel partners around the world. It is something we are glad to be able to do. If you are listening from around the world as one of our gospel partners, we love you. And we are glad to be able to support you practically, prayerfully, financially. And I want to encourage you as your minister, as a church, that you are engaged in partnership in giving for the work of the gospel beyond the local church. I want to commend and thank God for the work of our global mission group. Now, lest you think, as I say these things, that I am looking for ways to boost us and encourage us, I wouldn't dare do that if they weren't true. But when the Word of God presents opportunities to affirm and encourage, it is good to do. It is right to do. Verses 5 to 12, partnership with gospel workers and churches. Now, we are blessed in this city to enjoy meaningful gospel partnership in training and planting. Our partnership with Redeemer is one of joy and fellowship supporting churches like Charleston and Dundee with Andy and Kyrene. That is not a burden to us. It is a joy. Supporting the work of UCCF in Scotland, supporting the Bona Trust, your investment as a church in the ministry associated minister in training programs is something I want to commend you for. We heard this week from our future ministry associates that they are doing well, that to gladden my heart. On Fridays, we get to meet and engage as a staff team for prayer 
and seeing all the folks training here, wherever they are in the country now, it gladdens our heart. And I want to encourage you in your commitment to partner with gospel workers and churches. This is evidence of genuine gospel partnership. Be encouraged. This is what the Lord Jesus wants you to do and go on doing as a church. Third, respect to every fellow worker and laborer, verses 15 to 18. Paul is simply reiterating a point he has made repeatedly in the letter, whether it's within your local church, Chalmers, or in the widest field of gospel work beyond the local church, respect every fellow worker and laborer. Let their example inspire you. Don't look down on them. Rather, value and esteem them in their work. And fourth, and very importantly, don't just give out in the realm of gospel partnership. Receive the blessing of gospel partnership from others. Gospel partnership is not one way. It is two-way. We express gospel partnership. We receive gospel partnership. We bless one another as we sing. We bless them. They bless us. Verse 19, the churches of Asia send you greetings. Aquila and Prisca, together with the church in their house, send you hearty greetings in the Lord. All the brothers and sisters send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. So look out and engage in gospel partnership with others. That is what the Lord Jesus wants us to do, and that is what you are doing. I want to encourage you in that and to spur you on in your hearts to go on doing it, looking out and engaging in gospel partnership with others is more necessary than ever in these challenging times in our country and in the world. Look at yourselves as a church. Look out and engage in gospel partnership with others. And third and finally, love gets the last word. Verse 21. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. Our Lord, come. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. Now, there's an edge in these verses. Love for the Lord is not optional. If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. Love for the Lord and love for one another expressed in Paul's beautiful words, my love be with you in Christ Jesus. And that's a good word for us as a church family in these difficult days. Love the Lord. Love one another. A selfless, sacrificial love for the sake of others but not in our own strength, 
rather depending on God's grace, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank you for the really practical and helpful and relevant teaching at the end of this letter. To do Jesus' work in Jesus' way. To be strong. To love. And to look out and engage in gospel partnership with others. And thank you, Lord, for that reminder that love gets the last word. And may these days for us as a church family be days of love for the Lord and love for one another. And we pray these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.